Hello, welcome to Fertility Insights, the Cooper Surgical Podcast. We're delighted you joined us to learn more about fertility and the latest research from highly respected and experienced experts within the industry. My name is Amanda Boston, and I'm the Regional Manager for Equipment Business Support in the Americas for Cooper Surgical. In this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Tucker, who is recognized in his field as one of the world's leading scientists in early human reproduction. Dr. Tucker is widely known and respected for his breakthrough achievements in assisted reproductive technology. I'm delighted to talk to you today about the important issue of avoiding mistakes in assisted reproductive technology. Let's start the conversation with learning from your experience. You have been working in the IVF industry for many years. How have you seen the attention to mismatch avoidance change over that time? Oh, um, thanks for having me on, Amanda. Uh, Good to speak. How have I seen things change? Well, I've been in the industry full-time since 1983, so um, quite some time. I'm one of those dinosaurs that uh, uh, is a throwback to the first generation of uh, human IVF. Uh, Maybe not quite one of the classics, but certainly um, one of the the choir boys that was kicking around at the early days. Um, So over 38 years, um, in terms of... uh, mismatch avoidance, um, you can pretty much say that any of us who came out of uh, essentially what were research backgrounds, uh, many of us from animal reproductive uh, research area, uh, of course, we entered healthcare uh, with virtually zero uh, uh, sense of how to manage ourselves in in that sort of environment. Um, Nevertheless, um, respecting how profoundly um, impactful that that uh, assisted reproduction could be, not just on a, a, an individual patient or a couple, uh, but much more in terms of the generational impact. Um, it, it, it soon became uh, aware to us in the early days of IVF that um, you know we we need to take this fairly seriously. It's not like you have just a single experiment, uh, and uh, if it fails, you just go back and try it again. Um, No, we need to do things in a a correct manner. So um, I see this kind of arc of history uh, since my early days in IVF, where uh, many of us older types in IVF would have adopted what I refer to as the watchful angel on the shoulder, uh, so during that era, essentially, there was no attempt to verify uh, any uh, single um, uh, event within the lab, or it seemed much uh, uh, the same even in the the sort of uh, OR area uh, with the retrievals occurring in patients. Uh, it was just a, a different era in healthcare. So. Um, Relatively soon, within a year or two, it it soon became clear that uh, perhaps we needed to make sure that there was some clearer chain of custody on what was occurring uh, in and out of the IVF lab. So um, uh, we then move into what I call the in and out uh, screening. And and that basically uh, just involved checking the identities of uh, patients at the time of um, uh, egg retrieval and semen collection, 
um, and then at the time of embryo transfer. So it's kind of the two uh, moments at which you'd actually have contact uh, with the patient. So uh, as I, I mentioned, that would just be at the sort of the in and the out of the lab uh, uh, point. Ultimately, um, and, and certainly um, as IVF moved out of the kind of mom and pop cottage industry era back in the 80s and the early 90s, uh, suddenly this technology uh, was clearly not going away, this, this uh, form of uh, assisted reproduction. So um, as its popularity started to scale, as, as the public sort of embraced it as a, a, you know, a, um, an effective tool to, to uh, have a baby, um, it, it became clear with scale and volume uh, that we really needed to start focusing on all the events that went on uh, during the process. And by scale uh, and volume, I mean that instead of having just one egg retrieval a day or maybe one or two a week, uh, you're starting to see one or two or three or four uh, on a, any given day. And suddenly the alarm bells would go off in one's head as a, a lab director, a manager overseeing this process, particularly as you started working with more people in the lab, um, then the necessity to actually make sure chain of custody was f um, uh, observed very carefully on each and every sample in and out of the lab. So, um, Fairly soon in that process, and particularly with my work with Shady Grove Fertility, uh, where um, as, as the largest um, IVF um, lab in, in North America, uh, within a few years of joining them, it became very clear that uh, we needed to, to address every single step of the way uh, and uh, have double manual verification witnessing of each step, uh, what we call the, the pinch points in the process. Uh, and, and so that's the state we've been in for uh, a couple of decades until recently um, we moved into this final era of uh, electronic verification. And um, uh, prior to actually adopting uh, electronic witnessing, system and we use the RI witness system. Uh, I, I kind of always thought of it as, as going into the final stage of this arc of history, uh, perhaps where we'd be adopting uh, the big brother approach, if you will. <laughs> um, so that's my little potted history of, of chain of custody evolution uh, across the last four decades or so. That's great. That's where we've seen a lot of improvement. And it's always going in a positive direction to get more verification of chain of custody versus less. So thank you for that history. Um, have the recent mismatch incidents that have been profiled in the media caused any discussions among your staff about protocols across the labs you're involved with? Oh, gosh, yes. Um, it's kind of interesting just to, to uh, in an aside, sort of... Um, Probably labs and uh, embryologists, clinical embryologists, have sort of sensed that we've worked in a uh, largely risk management vacuum um, for uh, quite some time now. And 
I'm not, no disrespect to many of the, the, the physicians that I've worked with over the years. Uh, fortunately, we've always had a, a risk management uh, group within um, uh, the Shady Grove fertility practice that I work with. However, um, it, it's often occurred to us in the lab that, that we've sort of burdened uh, the uh, focus on the what could go wrong, the what if um, concerns that that uh, things that could happen in the lab, and that's because simply as clinical embryologists, we're we're working with the nuts and bolts. We're at the pointy end, uh, the sharp end of the whole process, and, and we're kind of responsible for putting it all together in an appropriate way, so that if and ever does go wrong. Um, then somehow we know that we're the first ones, let's not say to take the blame, but simply uh, we're the ones where uh, the questions first start, shall we say. Um, anyway, um, and, and this sort of transition to a sense of, of uh, how IVF labs are more about risk management these days than they are in te uh, technical evolution and, and research uh, to push forward the technology. Um, the risk management element came to the fore uh, and, and just to, and it's an allied area, but in 2018, um, there were a couple of cryotanks that uh, warmed up, uh, causing massive loss to um, cryospecimens, eggs, and embryos in particular in a couple of programs here in the US. And suddenly the media picked up on that and, and it sort of elevated uh, this area of importance uh, of risk management in the IVF programs that we uh, work in to the executive level, if you will, uh, certainly the ownership level in programs throughout the US. And uh, suddenly, um, cold chain, uh, cold storage, uh, cryopreservation, and how we manage that, the inventory management, uh, that suddenly all came front and central um, in our labs, as if we'd never thought about it uh, before. Uh, but suddenly, it, the impact of public awareness, because this was getting out into the media and certainly giving us a, a major black eye or two, uh, suddenly uh, the focus turned on um, how uh, we needed to be that much more concerned about making sure that nothing went wrong in uh, our IVF labs. Well, here we go again in, in uh, with the um, concern with the mismatch out of uh, LA. Um, it highlighted the concerns in terms of uh, risk oversight uh, of chain of custody itself. So pointing directly uh, at the need uh, to have very careful verification steps um, throughout the entire IVF process. So, um, you know, while IVF lab staff had run many scenarios to reality test potential errors, uh, that could occur. Um, certainly the IVF witness, um, electronic witnessing system concept uh, came fairly naturally to our labs uh, because we'd already undertaken manual verification steps for many, many years prior to that. Uh, and so the use of a sort of decision tree concept to help formalize the exact 
process and highlight the pinch points of potential error in the lab uh, were have have been welcomed uh, by us and helped to to sort of elevate the whole uh, issue of of risk management in our labs. And uh, fortunately, and I'm I'm grateful that now uh, we as a whole team uh, uh, across, and I think this is probably true in in pretty much all IVF programs now, that everybody's very much on the same page in terms of how to manage very carefully uh, um, the uh, avoidance of any chain of custody uh, mismatch errors. Just to draw on that, do you think implementing an electronic witnessing system has made the workflow easier or been less time-consuming double witnessing for the staff that's in your labs? Um, yes. I, I mean, I think um, the the issue um, that uh, everybody, anybody who's come from a sort of a traditional background of IVF um, and and feels like they, they've got the whole process down, uh, will probably have an old school view, perhaps, that any electronic witnessing system might end up being an encumbrance and could indeed slow you down. But um, I, I think, however, uh, younger individuals that we have in our lab who are much uh, well younger, by that I mean relative to myself, and uh, some of us uh, folks who've been in this for a, a good while, uh, younger individuals tend to embrace the technology much more readily. Uh, and, um, you know, the ability to, to remove that sort of second guessing of oneself. Uh, and let me just backtrack there. By that, I mean, um, back in the day, I'm sure there's pretty much any uh, old school embryologist who has uh, perhaps had a, a fairly full day in a smaller lab, perhaps they've done three or four uh, uh, IVF retrievals, uh, egg retrievals, and then moved on to inseminations. And they may have a checklist in the lab, manually performed, uh, and having driven away from the lab, they're second-guessing themselves, just going through uh, those processes. And it's like, did I actually do that final insemination? And here I am publicly confessing that actually, yes, that's happened to me once. Um, and I've driven back and there enough, uh, sure enough, you know, there was a procedure not completed. So um, that is a prime example of, of that second guessing issue, which arose when uh, A, there's no manual verification steps. And especially, uh, you know, uh, if you had the ability to have that electronically witness where there's no way to move forward and avoid potentially uh, calling in a second uh, manual witness. Uh, you simply can't undertake the procedure. So there's no risk of second guessing. So long story short there, um, there's a great sense of comfort uh, when uh, you're going through the processes and you know that they're very clear, firm, hard steps in that uh, to, to enable you to walk away at the end of the day and know that every single task was completed. And, and more importantly, uh, not only completed, but completed 
uh, <clears throat> correctly. Um, so ultimately, once you become um, sort of um, relax into the use of electronic witnessing system, uh, I believe it both speeds up the process uh, and brings a sense of uh, uh, assurance uh, that enables you to, to uh, do a better job all around. Great. Thank you. Um, we all see the job postings daily for people needing embryologists and andrologists in the lab. In light of the seemingly lack of qualified embryologists available for hire, when y'all are recruiting new lab staff, do you see the electronic witnessing system as being a differentiator that could attract people to your program? Um, yes, I do. Um, and fortunately, you know, most of the new candidates are, are younger and I refer back to them being that much more tech savvy. And simply when you have the entire activity displayed on a nice big screen in your lab and any individual walking in can immediately ascertain exactly the activity level and what is happening in that lab. I think it's it, it's impressive, to say the least. So, yes, I do believe it is a differentiator. And I think it also, uh, re referring back to uh, the sense of assurance that this process gives, it, it acts um you know, for, for any uh, new embryologist coming in, uh, acts definitely as, uh, as an attractive um, additional element in that lab. Great. Thank you. So I'm going to change tracks a little bit and kind of talk about how this has impacted the patients and the practice overall and their level of comfort with the lab. Um, have the recent mismatches that has created a higher focus or level of anxiety among your patients? Um. Absolutely. Now, um, it's interesting, and uh, not to dwell too much on the fact that I've, I've been in this uh, industry for quite some time now, but uh, um, there's definitely been uh, an uptick um, in, in terms of patients understanding the process. Um, consumers are much more... Um, savvy of the processes that, that, that they're buying into now. Uh, and certainly, even going back a, a, a couple of decades, uh, the amount of information available, you know, we, we're all aware of Dr. Google. Um, everyone in our uh, IVF world is, is more than used to being presented with whatever the latest uh, trendy research might happen to be in our business uh, that suddenly gets thrown at you in, in a, a consultation. Uh, many of our physicians often uh, run to us in the lab to ask us what, what on earth you know, the patients are, are, are talking about in, in many cases. This, on the other hand, uh, particularly in terms of the uh, mismatch incidents elevated to um, the, the media, uh, uh, giving us a, a second black eye in, in less than three or four years here in the US, um, just elevates the whole um, concern that, that uh you know, patients would have. It's hard enough to be handing off their reproductive potential 
uh, to a lab and have it out of their control. But to know that, uh, you know, this has actually occurred and people have ended up with the wrong babies um, due to, to uh, um, failure of chain of custody when, uh, within an IVF lab, inevitably uh, that's caused a great deal of stir uh, across our patients. Now, as uh, we in the IVF programs I work with, the volume is, is uh, somewhat too high for us to have routine patient contact. But certainly we hear from our clinical staff, physicians, nurses, who actually handled the patient interactions, that the level of questioning of um, how do I know my, my sperm's going to end up with my partner and my wife's eggs? Uh, how do I know that I end up with the right embryo? Uh, that embryo has been in the tank in a cryo tank for the last four years. How do I know that that's, um, first of all, the euploid normal embryo uh, uh, that, that you say it is, but also that it's my euploid normal embryo that you're about to, to warm and, and transfer to my uterus. So those kind of questions of, of uh, uh, certainly come to the fore of late and uh, simply put uh, the, the ability for our physicians and clinical staff to turn around and point to the um, uh, the fact that we use an electronic witnessing system, the RI witness, um, has been a major plus for ourselves. Uh, so that that's definitely uh, the case. So um, if you know, I, I mean, uh, I, I feel that, um, you know, from a lab perspective, we've always been aware of these issues, uh, but certainly, um, you know, the, the clinical staff are having their noses rubbed in it uh, in, in recent times uh, just because of, of this process. So, you know, uh, electronic witnessing certainly gives us a sense of assurance that we can go back to our patients and allay many of those fears. And, and you know, simply having a an electronic uh, medical record which details each and every step that occurred without the potential for error uh, and we can present that to our patients, uh, that's also another major plus. Do you think that having the electronic witnessing system that the patients have been told about, do you think that gives them an increased feeling of safety while their gametes are with you for the time of IVF or an IUI? Uh, simply put, yes. Um, and I think, you know, not only the ability to talk about that up front with patients, but throughout the whole process, um, I think it gives them definitely a, a sense of insurance that the procedures occurring uh, on their uh, gametes and, and with their embryos, um, it certainly elevates it to, to a, a, a level of comfort that um, they otherwise wouldn't have. Great. So just one last question, kind of on that same path. Uh, could these recent mismatch cases that have been highly profiled over the last year in the media possibly stop people from pursuing assisted reproductive technology to build a family and possibly opt out for adoption or just delay family building altogether until they regain confidence in the industry? Oh, um, I, 
the simple question, uh, simple answer to that question is yes. <laughs> uh, and then I'm going to fill in here because I feel there's 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 quite a lot to to be said um, in terms of uh, my arc of IVF um, history. Uh, it's interesting to me that that back in the eighties um, we were seen as um, problematic individuals playing God, quote unquote, um, that um, IVF was just so unnatural and that it really should be banned. Um, by the late 80s, however, once, you know, the, the public had got past that whole perception that somehow we were playing God and that, you know, uh, there were going to be major um uh, consequences uh, beyond what we were actually uh, achieving, which was, you know, the occasional, gosh, efficiencies were so poor back then. Um, but yeah, we would actually get some healthy live born infants out of the process. Um, that generated a sort of a, a comfort level in the public eye. And we went from sort of the, the concern playing God era uh, in the early days of IVF, and we hit this kind of sweet spot for the next couple of decades where pretty much anything you did, even if it was a modestly um, innovative new process, as long as there was a, a cute baby involved and there was a neat sort of photo op for the media or a, a little bit of uh, B-roll for the, you know, uh, the, the cameras to come in and capture the IVF lab and there were happy mom and dad or mom and mom, dad and dad or whomever uh, with a gorgeous baby for the next uh, uh couple of decades it felt like we could do no wrong everybody loved you know the baby making industry Two, the last <laughs> three or four years where suddenly that uh you know that that uh, era where mostly we were seen as as the the, the good folks the good guys uh suddenly <clears throat> and not unrealistically um in a, a more broader sense, uh, but we've we've gone down in the public uh, eye uh, and dropped down into the sort of era of uh, being seen potentially as uh, meddlesome profiteering devils <clears throat> in in terms of of just exploiting you know um, poor patients out there <clears throat> for profit. Um, and doing so uh, without the proper um, safeguards, uh, um, uh, guardrails in place uh, to achieve those outcomes. So uh, maximizing profit with with very little oversight of how we did that. So I'm, I'm painting a very dark picture of us, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm just saying that it's interesting to me over the last 40 years how um, the process has, has gone from... Uh, being seen as uh, very problematic uh, to again being somewhat potentially problematic if not undertaken in an appropriate sense, and you know that that is is totally fair. Um, I think healthcare is it, 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 it's such an honor to be um, uh, allowed the privilege to work, particularly in in, in such a positive area of healthcare uh, that it brings with it great responsibility uh, 
And uh, if, if we're not actually doing a, uh, um, a, a good job, and in fact, an excellent job, uh, almost perfect job in terms of, of uh, risk management um, in IVF, uh, then I feel we should be held to account in the public eye uh, and seen for, uh, you know, what we might be, which is, you know, just profiteering, exploitive uh, individuals. But uh, I feel like the um, processes that we've brought to bear uh, in our own labs and the vast majority of labs <coughs> individually at Shady Grove Fertility, uh, we've really focused on... Um, the, the, the management of risk um, and the scale that we, uh, you know, have experienced for many years now has enabled us to explore and question each and every uh, step um, where things could go wrong. Uh, believe me, we've, we've uh, run those scenarios and one of the highest areas of risk is certainly chain of custody um, managing uh, or elimination of mismatch uh, potential is is top of the list there, uh, and and so you know I think it's so appropriate that uh, um, we have invested in this technology uh, um, in our programs, uh, and you know I, I certainly welcome discussing this with any of my colleagues out there in the industry uh, to explain to them uh, that. Um, you know, an electronic witnessing system uh, takes you to the next level of risk management. Thank you for all the information uh, you've given us so far. It's been great for me and our listeners. I just wanted to ask if you had any final thoughts on the importance of avoiding mistakes in ART and electronic witnessing as a whole. Final thoughts? Um, I feel like electronic witnessing is here to stay in our industry, and I feel like it's, an, 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 I hate to say it, but it's an inevitability, and we uh, as an industry uh, need to adopt this as, as standard practice. Uh, it's certainly been the case, as far as I understand it, in, in uh, certain other countries. Uh, certainly the UK championed the idea. and. Um, in, in, in terms of um, the comfort that it brings to us working in IVF at the bench in the labs, um, it, it is difficult to um, explain uh, perhaps uh, the stress that embryologists undergo day in and day out with the processes that uh, uh, they apply. Um, they're fabulous people, but, um, you know, if we can do anything to alleviate uh, certain areas of stress in, in managing uh, the processes, the, the, the protocols they adopt day in and day out, anything we can do uh, to alleviate the uh, stress and actually make their lives easier is, is a big plus. And electronic uh, verification witnessing is, is certainly a key element of uh, uh, that. And, and so, you know, I, I have welcomed its addition to our labs, and I would certainly strongly recommend other labs getting into it uh, sooner rather than later. 
Awesome. Thank you, Dr. Tucker, for having this candid conversation with me and discussing the ins and outs of electronic witnessing and patient comfort in the lab. So thank you also to everyone who's tuned into this episode of Fertility Insights. Please like, share, comment, and make sure to tune in to our next episode. Thanks, Amanda.